Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, before she escapes the room, I just want to say thank you, Cynthia, for sharing that song. And uh, I know that's not easy. And so thank you so much for sharing that. I'm not a writer. I'm not a musician. I don't even play the radio well. But I do know that when God gives you something and you write it down, um, it can be uh, very difficult to share that. And so thank you for doing that. Um, it's really amazing because this um, series, what she sang there was so personal to her, um, but there was a bit of a mirror in terms of how this series even came about. Uh, I've told the story a couple times, but just to kind of bring it to a conclusion here today as we're in week six of the series called Heaven Demystified, this series began in 2007 um, when my grandmother passed away, and my mom began asking me questions about heaven that I couldn't answer. Here I am, a Christ follower since I was seven years old, went to Liberty University, you know, I mean, I got a great Christian education all my life. I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. I've been in seminary, and I couldn't answer some of her questions. And I thought, you know, if I am struggling with heaven, if I'm not sure about the place that I believe that I'm going to spend eternity Maybe I should figure some things out, and maybe that means that we as a society and we as a church don't quite understand it. And so that's how this was birthed, was out of a, really a desire to know more about what God's Word says about heaven and the afterlife. If you have your notes, you can take them this morning. We're going to dive right in in a few minutes, and I want you to have those. If you're not a paper person, um, you can get online. You can use the uh, free access Wi-Fi here, and you can get online. It's okay. Parents, if your kids are using their devices today, don't get mad at them, okay? If, you know, I mean, if they're playing Angry Birds Star Wars Edition, maybe. But anyway, um, just want you to be a part of that, and we've got the notes there. You can download from our website, or if you have uh, an iPhone or uh, any, an Apple device, you can download our app. In this series, what we've done is we've taken uh, six of the most common myths about heaven and we've compared them to God's Word. And what we've done is for each of those myths, um, kind of taking a page uh, a little bit from Mythbusters, we've decided that we're going to take each of these six myths, compare them to Scripture, and render them either proven, plausible, or busted. And so each week we've had a different myth that we've rendered either proven, plausible, or busted. And let me just as a way of review kind of walk you through some of these things. All these, message, all these messages are online. Um, you can access them through iTunes um, or you can access them at our website. In week one, um, we determined that the myth that heaven is a real physical place is actually not a myth. It's actually true. It's proven. The Bible is very clear that heaven is a real physical place. In fact, in Revelation, the last book in the Bible, the last two chapters in the Bible, the Apostle John writes about his vision of what God gave him about heaven. And so you can read that there to know that heaven is a real physical place. And we went on to describe it in week one. In weeks two and three, we kind of tackled two different myths, uh, just a little bit kind of conversely kind of uh, opposite um, in week two and three, we discovered that the myth that all good people go to heaven and that all bad people go to hell is busted because the Bible is clear that people who accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior are the ones that go to heaven. And those who don't, at the end of their life, 
they go to hell. And so we discovered that there are a lot of good people out there that seem like they ought to go to heaven, but if they haven't made that decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're not going to heaven. And then there, conversely, there's a lot of bad people out there that if they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are going to heaven. And so we looked at that in week two and three and found out that those two things are busted as logical and as uh, uh, intuitive as they are. Uh, we found out that they were busted. In week four, we rendered the myth that we become angels when we die busted. Because scripture says, as Cynthia's song, as we just sang, that once we get to heaven, uh, that our bodies that have died will be joined back together with our souls. And we will be in this glorified, awesome, glorified, uh, resurrected form. And uh, so in heaven, we will actually have physical bodies. It'll just be in a different form, but we do not become angels. And so we discovered that in week four. Last week in week five, we considered that the myth that heaven is what I imagine it to be is at least plausible because there's a correlation between this earth and the heaven. So there might be some things that we enjoy on this earth that we also will enjoy in heaven. Scripture doesn't specifically deny that, nor does it specifically confirm it, but there is at least the idea that there are some things that we might enjoy. But we concluded last week by saying that it really doesn't matter because we're going to enjoy being in heaven so much because Jesus, our Savior, is going to be there. And our job in heaven, we all will have different roles and jobs in heaven. Our main job is to worship Him forever. Now, today we conclude with the myth, my life on earth will directly influence my life in heaven. My life on earth will directly influence my life in heaven. This is a subject that the church has debated for centuries, and it's also a subject that outside the church we've debated for centuries. Will this life, will I affect my future life by this life? And so we're going to take a look at that today. To talk about that, I want to step back, though, and take a look at a very interesting topic, because when Jesus tries to answer this question, when Jesus answers this particular question, he drops back in a discussion he had with a couple of his disciples, and I want to use that as a springboard to talk about this topic today, and I want to drop back and talk about the fact that because God gives us all a free will, we have to look at the motivation or the reasons why we do what we do here on earth. There are many things that humans have in common. One of them is this word ambition. This word ambition. We all have in common that we are ambitious people. It's part of being human. We want achievement. We want success. We want to be better at varying degrees than maybe we've been in the past. And so what drives us as humans at different degrees, I realize, for different personalities and different situations, is this whole idea of ambition. We want success in life. A 20th century businessman, Wilfred A. Peterson, was quoted as saying, success is focusing the full power of all of you are on what you have, a burning desire to achieve. And so ch achievement and success and ambition is something that's kind of a common denominator for all of us. It may look different for you than it does for me, and it may look different from a person here than it does from a person over here, but we have that in common, that we all have this drive 
to be better. Parents, we instill it in our kids from almost birth, don't we? We plan out their education. We plan out their friends. We plan out when we're going to do what with our kids, all for the purpose of achievement. And that's not all bad. It's really not. My, I remember my dad used to say, man, I, I want you to be better than I am. I want you to be better than your grandfather. I want you to be better. We want in life to become better and more, uh, have more achievement and have more success. And that want and accomplishment can be a very good thing if it's focused in the right direction, if it's God-breathed and God-given and God-driven. We can really focus that achievement and that ambition to accomplish great things and to become a true, better part of the human race. We need to not look really any further than history to see that there were men and women who wanted to accomplish great things. Alexander the what? Great. Napoleon. There was Hitler. And they all had an ambition to conquer the world at varying degrees. They had success and failure. In business, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Donald Trump, you're fired. They all had this ambition to achieve. That was horrible. Horrible. Anyway, they all had this ambition to achieve success, and in varying degrees, they achieved very uh, they achieved great success. Um, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Muhammad Ali, Jim Thorpe, Annika Sorenstam, all had ambition that helped them become great athletes. And ambition can be a very positive thing in our lives, but ambition in any area of our life that is driven by self can be a very bad thing. Any ambition, whether it's seemingly good or seemingly bad, can be a very destructive thing in our lives and in the lives of the people around us, can't it? I mean, even ambition for our family can go wrong when it's our ambition. I have a son who plays soccer I want to see him succeed, but sometimes that kind of moves into the area of I want him to succeed because of me. I want to be proud of him. Selfish ambition. We can be even selfish in our ambition to get closer to God. Some of you maybe have been in a home or a religious background where there were people all around you that were selfish in their spiritual ambitions. It's not always wrong, but when it's selfish, ambition can be very destructive. There's a story in the Bible of two of Jesus' closest followers who asked him about achievement. They wanted to be close to him in his kingdom. They wanted to be near him. And I love this story. It's got some great insight. It's got some funny parts. It's got some different things. And I want you to take a look at this. This is from Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 20, 20 through 28. If you don't, they'll be up on the screens. You can take a look there up on the screens. You can follow along on version or whatever you do. I want to dive into the notes, and we're going to answer right out of the gates. We're going to answer our myth, okay? Don't leave and go to lunch yet, okay? I want you to understand why this is true, but take a look. Point number one, Jesus teaches that our choices in this life will influence our place in heaven. The choices in this life will influence, I didn't say position, but I said our place, meaning it will influence what we do for eternity. The choices in this life. So our myth is what? Proven, plausible, or busted? Proven. 
You guys are so with me this morning. I can tell. Our myth is proven because Jesus says that there's a connection between this life and the next. Let's take a look at this in Matthew 20. Now, a little bit of background. In Matthew 10, Jesus has just chosen his closest followers. They're the 12 disciples. They're the ones that Jesus brings in close to him to help accomplish the work that God has set for him to do. And we see that in Matthew 10. And most of these followers have come from an area called the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus gathers them in. Two of the first ones were sons, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Those of you who are expecting... Name your kids Zebedee. You'll have some fun with that. Okay, Matthew 20. Take a look at what happens with these sons in Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, Mrs. Zebedee, came to him with her sons, and kneeling before Jesus, she asked him something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right and one at your left in the kingdom. Jesus answered, you, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, yeah, we're able. Now let's just stop there for a moment. I, I get the picture because this same, uh, this same passage is, is in the other Gospels, and we don't see Mrs. Zebedee in the picture. Matthew kind of records the fact that James and John got mom in there to ask on their behalf. It's kind of like, I don't want to ask them. Why don't you ask him, Mom? Will you help us out here? We want to be close to him when we get to heaven. Can you ask for us? And she does. And so she gets involved and she asks. And he questions them about what they're asking for. You want to sit on my left and my right? And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Now, Jesus is all man, but he's also all God. So he knows what's ahead of him. He knows the road that he has ahead of him. He knows that there's, he's going to be tried in some kind of illegal trial. And he knows that he's going to be persecuted. And he knows that he's going to be put on a cross and die a death for your sins and for mine. And he asks him, are you able to drink of this cup? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, if you want to be great, there's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be sacrifice. If you want to be near me, if you want to be next to me in heaven, there's going to be sacrifice. Are you willing to do that? And without even thinking, they say, yeah, we're able. We're able. Verse 23, he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not, for me to, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten, the other disciples, this is where it gets really funny, when they heard about it, they were indignant at the two brothers. James and John, you think you're so special? You want to be next to Jesus? You know why I think they were indignant and brought that up? It's because they want the same thing. Isn't that human nature? Like, I can't believe you asked for that favor. Well, I want the same favor, but I can't believe that you were the one that asked. They were indignant at them, at the two brothers. Verse 25, but Jesus called to them, called them to him, and he said this. And here's the point that I want to make this morning. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be greatest among you must be your what? Servant. Whoever's going to be greatest among you must be your servant. 
In verse 27, and whoever would be first among you must be your what? Slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus realized something, and this is the picture I want you to get, and then we're going to talk about heaven and, and what we can expect in heaven, okay? But he, he sets this whole discussion up. And what Jesus does in answering their question is he connects this life to the afterlife. He connects this life to the afterlife. I don't think that we can blame James or John for wanting to be near Jesus. That's not a bad thing, is it? I mean, yeah, it was their ambition. It was their maybe pride. They want to be near him. They thought they were better than the other 10 disciples and everybody else in human history. But is it really that bad of a thing that they were asking? I don't think so. I think the problem is, and here's the problem with us, the problem is, is that they didn't connect the fact that greatness in heaven is, the, is a connection between what we do in this life and what happens in the next life. Jesus establishes in this passage that connection. That what we do in this life matters in heaven. It just does. It does. Well, how does it matter? What does that mean? What happens? Let's take a look at your notes this morning. The second point. When we die, we all will be judged for our lives here on earth. Some of you are like, yep, took him six weeks, but he went there. He used the J word. We don't like that word, do we? We don't like it at all. I remember in our house, we have now a six-year-old um, and a nine-year-old. The nine-year-old was the one that Cynthia was talking about. It was 15 months when we lived in New York City. And I remember one instance, this was probably about two years ago, when they were beginning to like really have like sibling argument. And I'm pretty sure it was the younger one that went, Mom, Dad, they're being judging. And we're like, how do they know that word? They're so young. We don't like that word. We don't like it when people point out something. We say, don't what? Judge me. And we don't like it when we see a group of people who have their act together and we think that they are, think that they're better than us. We say, don't be so what? Judgmental. We don't like this idea of judging at all. But we have to go there because the Bible speaks of it. When we die, we all will be judged for our lives here on earth. Romans, the Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans 14, 10 through 12. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What? That's what's coming? We have to give an account to God? You see, this whole idea of us not liking the J word, the judging word, is the fact that we think that we are the judge. Or we think that other people, in our family's case, a sister or brother, think that they're the judge. 
The problem is, is that we've got this wrong. The reason that Jesus, the reason Paul said this, and the reason that Jesus encourages us not to judge each other is this. You, as a human, you're not the judge. God is the judge. We shouldn't not judge each other because it's judgmental and it's not proper or it's not good etiquette. No, that's not the reason. We shouldn't judge each other because each of us are going to have a day when we die that we will face God. And we'll have to answer for what we've done. I want to talk about the two different judgments that we'll face after we die. First of all, there will be a judgment of all people. Every human that's ever breathed a breath on this earth will face the first judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. And it will have to answer before God whether or not we accepted his free gift of eternal life through Jesus, his son. You see, when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden sinned, that began a history of all of humanity sinning for all of humanity. But God loved each one of us enough that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins so that we could one day be with God in heaven. And each of us have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior or reject him. And so we'll have to answer this question. Did we choose to accept or reject what Jesus did for us on the cross as entrance into heaven? Hebrews speaks of this great white throne judgment. I'll tell you where that word comes from in a moment. He speaks of it in 927, Hebrews 927. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after this comes judgment. You see, there's no ambiguity about this. There is a judgment day coming for each one of us where we'll have to answer, did you believe? And those of you who have said yes to Jesus, you'll be granted access into heaven. Those of you who have rejected won't. And so this is called the great white throne judgment. The reason it's called the great white throne judgment is because the apostle John, the one we just talked about, John and his brother James, the guys who asked Jesus this seemingly ridiculous question, um, he writes about this because God gave him a vision of this in Revelation. Take a look at what he says in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. He says this as he's viewing heaven. Then I saw a great white throne. That's where we get the great white throne judgment from. And him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire here, just to let you know, is the final, final, final destination for those who didn't accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The second one is death, the lake of fire. And verse 15, please read this. Please read this. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, at that judgment... If you answer yes, you'll be ushered into heaven. If you answer no, if you said, no, I reject it on this life, on this earth, I rejected Jesus, then unfortunately what scripture says and what I believe to be true is that you'll be cast into the lake of fire 
for eternity. See, it's our sins that separate us from God. But I want you to hear this. There's a tremendous amount of fear around this judgment. We'll talk about the second judgment in a moment. There's a tremendous amount of fear around this judgment. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. All you have to do is to say yes to the free gift of eternal life. Yes, I trust Jesus. And when you face that judgment after you've died here on this earth, you'll be ushered in to heaven. It's the Lamb's book of life. And I pray, my prayer for you is that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. But don't leave that up to chance. This is your opportunity to make that decision while you're here on this earth. And at the end of the message, for those of you who may be skeptical or may not have been sure, I'll give you the opportunity to make that decision before we leave today. Now, there's a second judgment. The first one is a great white throne, uh, great white throne judgment, but there's a second judgment. I want you to hear this. This will be a judgment of all believers. At this judgment, we'll have to answer a different question, and it's this. Did we choose to do good or evil while here on earth? The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians in his letter to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what this one's called, the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, some of you who grew up in a religious home or a religious background or church or whatever, um, your view of this may be just as scary as the great white throne judgment because of something that someone said. For instance, some of you may view this judgment as a giant courtroom with an old man with a long beard and glasses down on his nose and a gavel looking at the account of your life ready to judge you for all the bad things that you've done. You know what my view of it was? That I'd get to heaven and that my whole life would be played out on a giant screen for everyone to see. That was my fear growing up. Some of you view it as like an old father or old grandfather just, uh, just kind of unleashing everything that you've ever done in life. And I want you to hear this. I don't see that written anywhere in Scripture. I don't see it written anywhere in the Bible. And I also don't believe that that kind of judgment is going to happen to those of us who call ourselves Christ followers because it's not consistent with the loving, merciful, gracious nature of God. We view judgment as harsh. And at this judgment, for those of us who are Christ followers, I believe this is going to be a little bit more like a time of reward. We don't understand this because we have a skewed uh, view of the word judgment. But another word for judgment is reward. It's reward. You see, at this time, we're going to be rewarded for those things that we did for other people. We're going to be rewarded for the service that we did for Jesus Christ. At this judgment, you and I will receive rewards for what we did for furthering the kingdom of God and helping those who need food and clothing those who needed to be clothed. We're going to be rewarded for the good deeds that we did. You see, we get this flip-flop sometimes. We think that our good deeds get us to heaven. Oh, no, that's not the case. Trust in Jesus Christ gets us to heaven. But we're going to have a different type of heaven, a fuller rewarded heaven if we do more good deeds. The Bible is clear about that. So we've established that what we do here 
absolutely matters. But what specifically does Jesus say that we should do? Take a look at point number three this morning. You see, our heavenly Father, our, our, our heavenly reward, excuse me, are directly connected to how we spend our time here on earth. Our heavenly rewards are directly connected to how we spend our time here on earth. You see, James and John, uh, their question to Jesus wasn't wrong. In fact, this verse that we're going to take a look at in a moment, I think that Jesus is encouraging us to have heavenly ambition. But Jesus wanted to make sure that he connected the fact that what we do here on earth has a connection to what happens in heaven. Take a look at what Jesus says that we should do. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He says this, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he ends by saying this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason that Jesus asked James and John, are you ready to drink from this cup? Please don't miss this. Is Jesus knew that if they wanted to be close to him in heaven, if they wanted full reward for heaven, that it would be because they sacrificed something of their life here on earth. James and John eventually got this concept. And when they answered yes, we are willing to receive that cup. Maybe they were serious because John went on to write a lot of the New Testament. He wrote the, uh, the Gospel of John, the three, first, second, third John, and Revelation. And so there was time sacrificed for him. Maybe for him it was being on mission for Jesus Christ, and he sacrificed his great fishing business that he had there at the Sea of Galilee. His brother James, he was one of the first martyrs in the church. Killed because of his faith. In Jesus Christ, Jesus was right to say, are you ready to accept this cup? Does that mean that you and I have to be martyrs? No, I don't believe it. I don't believe that. But it does require, I believe, some kind of sacrifice on our part if we want rewards in heaven. We will receive, it's the second point there, we will receive special rewards in heaven for sacrifice that we make on earth in order to be more devoted Christ followers. Matthew records Jesus instructing his disciples on this in Matthew 19, 28 through 30. He says this, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or land for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And then he ends it this way in verse 30. He says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You see, Jesus is saying if we want heavenly ambition, then it's going to take sacrifice in this life. And the best way to sacrifice in this life is to live this life serving the world around us. We give you plenty of opportunity to do that here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. We don't kind of take the approach of good luck with all that. 
We want to help you in terms of serving your world. And so some of the things that we do um, that, that we suggest that maybe you do and think about doing in terms of serving the world around you are listed on our website. You can go to the One Community page of our website. It's uh, uh, hiltonheadislandcc.org slash one-community. And so you can go there and take a look at some different things that you can do to serve those around you. It doesn't mean that you have to leave everything you know and go to a country or a place that is away from everyone. Maybe God will call you to do that, and that's fine. But it doesn't mean that you have to do that. It means that you serve those around you. One of the ways that we offer to give you to do that is through an intentional, random act of kindness. I know, sounds crazy. An intentional, random act of kindness we came up with these envelopes back when we were doing 30 projects in 30 days. And you can go to our guest service desk and pick up one of these envelopes. And you can attach it to a, a gift bag. You could put a gift card in here. You could put cash in here to help someone who may be in need. You don't need to go through all kind of process to do that. You just need to serve. And so we give you ways and opportunities to do that. And so I want to encourage you to serve the world around you. Go pick up one of these envelopes and serve your community. You see, what we do in this life has a direct impact on the life that is to come. Lastly, we also will receive rewards in heaven for finishing well our time here on earth. The New Testament talks about five different crowns that we will receive, and we don't have time to go into that today, but we will receive crowns when we get to heaven based on different works that we do. But one of the things the Bible's clear on is, is that we will receive reward for finishing this life well. Take a look at what Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? so that you may obtain it, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we an imperishable. What he's saying to the church at Corinth is that if you finish well, there's going to be a special prize, and it's going to be a prize that will last forever. And so in heaven, there will be rewards like we can't imagine for doing good things. That's what judgment is about. We don't have to fear judgment. In fact, another word for judgment is award. That's the way that we need to view the judgment that we will have when we come to the end of our life so that when we get to heaven, we can answer what Jesus wrote in Matthew 25, 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of the master. I realize that death may be dreadfully fearful for many of you. It may be intensely fearful. And even this six-week series has kind of brought up some fear that you have about death. I understand that. I get that. My prayer is, is that now that you know a little bit more about heaven, that you will no longer fear death. And that Christ follower, you will no longer fear judgment. And that the idea of having to stand before God and answering for those good and bad things that we do will spur us on to do greater works. You see, when we absolutely know for sure when we're going, when we die, then exiting from this life into the next is no longer 
fearful. Of all the fears that grip our hearts, no fear is greater than the fear of death. There are those who will tell you that death is a natural part of life. But if death is just a part of life, then why does it cause us such anger and sorrow? When God created humanity, he intended for us to grow more and more beautiful over time. But in one tragic moment, we unleashed sin into the world, and everything broke, including our bodies. Death is the ultimate consequence of sin, and it fills God's heart with anger and sorrow even more than it does ours, because death was not a part of God's original plan. The Bible says that when Jesus approached the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he quaked with rage, and his eyes filled with tears. He was overwhelmed by the suffering caused by death, a curse we had brought upon ourselves. Death's curse was physical. Both the world and our bodies were decaying. But death's curse was also spiritual, eternally separating humanity from their creator, the source of all light, love, and life. But because of God's amazing love, he chose to surrender all power and glory to rescue us from death. Jesus, God's only son, was expelled from the presence of the Father and thrust into complete darkness in our place. He took humanity's curse upon himself, breaking death's grip on us and purchasing humanity a place at the Father's side forever. A day is coming when the true king will return at last to restore the world to its full glory and us with it, renewing both soul and body. You'll still be yourself, but even more so. You'll finally be the real you. On that day, we'll look at each other and say, I always knew you could be like this. I saw glimpses of the real you, flashes of it, and now here you are. Our future is not an ethereal, impersonal one. You're not going to float through the clouds. You're going to walk. You're going to eat. You're going to laugh. You're going to hug. You're going to sing in realms and degrees of power and joy that you cannot now imagine. Some will tell you not to fear death because it's part of life. But Jesus says not to fear death because it's been defeated. And the day will come when Jesus embraces you with his nail-scarred hands and says, Welcome home. I have so much to show you. Father God, we long for that day when we get to see your face in heaven. And God, we thank you so much for giving us eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, right now, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray for those who walked in today, maybe skeptical, maybe curious, maybe not knowing, maybe unsure, even though they grew up in a Christian home, whether or not they've made the decision to put 
their trust in you. I pray right now that today, in this moment, that today is their day of salvation. If you're in here today and you'd say, Todd, I have absolutely feared death. But today, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior so that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die, I'll go to heaven. If you're there today, I'm going to pray a prayer here in a moment. And I want to invite you. In fact, I challenge you. I implore you to go to God right now in the quietness of this room and in your heart, just you and him. In the best words that you can, in your mind and in your heart, follow along with me. It's not in the specific words of this prayer, but it's in the intent of your heart to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You can repeat these words just silently in your heart after me. God, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus, your son, to die for me. Up until now, I've feared death, and I don't want to fear death any longer. So today, I admit my faults, and I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Help me from now on to live for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer along with me, in just the quietness of your heart, I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. On my left, your right, if you prayed that prayer or something like it along with me this morning, just raise up your hand so I can see you. My right, your left, anyone over on this side, if you prayed that prayer along with me, just raise your hand. And Father God, I just pray for any who said that prayer who today absolutely made sure that they know when they die they're going to heaven. God, I pray that you would just anchor them in this newfound faith. And God, I pray for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we don't have to fear death either. But God, I pray that you would help us to live in the joy of knowing when that day comes that we've done everything we can on this life to live it for you serving the world around us give us courage give us the ability to connect the fact that what we do here has an impact on our eternity help us father to be your servants and god then one day we will be so excited to see your face we'll be so excited to be surrounded by your loving arms and God, like the rest of creation at that time, we will sing, holy, holy, holy is your name. Help us to look forward to that day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What a day it will be when we see his face. Would you stand with us this morning?
sing it. church.
just for a moment longer. I want to encourage you, if you made a decision for Jesus today, even if it was a um, just kind of an assurance of salvation today, um, or if it's a first-time decision, I just want you to mark that on that connection card down at the bottom of your notes. You can take that and carry Beck, our one community director, is back there. And if you take that back there, she'll give you a free Bible that will help you in terms of your new walk with Christ. And so I uh, just want to encourage you to do that this morning. Okay, Cynthia mentioned it earlier. Um, the fall is right around the corner. And next week, we kick off a whole new sermon series called Get a Life. Don't you love that name? Get a Life. So um, if you want to get a life, be here next week. And honestly, one of the things that we're doing over these next few weeks is we're connecting you um, to life groups. And so we want you to be involved um, in really the lifeblood of Hilton Head Island Community Church. And so you'll have a lot of opportunity to do that beginning next week as we start this brand new series that Cody will be helping me teach. Also, um, at school starts. Are you excited about school starting? How many of you are excited about that was weak, weak. It was like all parents. How many of you are excited about school starting? Woo, all right. Um, that's coming up here over the next couple weeks. And here's what I want to do right now. I want to pray for all of you who are teachers. If you're on uh, the faculty of a school, um, if you're staff and uh, administration. So, and if you're a homeschool parent, I'm going to have you stand up for a moment, not to embarrass you. Come on, I know you who are teachers, okay? So it's church, you can't lie. Okay, so stand up. Those of you who are teachers or involved in homeschooling or on staff, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Stay standing. Wait, stay standing. You guys are so important to our communities, and you're so important to our children, and we're so thankful, and so I want to pray a prayer of blessing before you get in those rooms. How's that sound, okay? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for these teachers, staff, faculty, administration, um, these are people who are on the front lines with our children. And many of them, many of them are a light in a very dark world. And I pray your blessing on them in the strong name of Jesus. Sustain them for this year. Protect them this year. God, allow them to be able to be a light in our children's lives. And I pray this in, all, in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.